I think it's something that everyone is aware of, but it's kind of in the background most of the time and you don't really know who these children are because typically they're from you know poor families and there's a tendency I think across the world to ignore people from certain communities or mm. I mean it's e very easy to convince yourself that their problem is actually not your problem and they don't deserve your attention. Hello and welcome back to the Vintage Podcast with me, Lena Norms. New year, new decade and definitely some incredible new debut authors. In today's episode, we're going to be meeting two of them, Anne Yu, who is the author of Braised Pork, and Deepa, who is the author of Gin Patrol on the Purple Line. First off, I'd love you to meet Anne Yu. Her book follows a main character who one morning after breakfast uh, walks into her bathroom to find her husband dead in their bathtub. From there, we watch her life in Beijing change beyond recognition, haunted by the sketch of a strange creature from her husband's dream. This kind of half fish, half man. It's got folklore, it's got travel, it's got adventure, it's got romance. It's an incredible book and I'm really excited for you to hear more about it. So here's my little chat with Anne Yu. Anne Yu, thank you so much for joining us on the Vintage Podcast. How are you today? Good. Good? How are you? I'm not too bad, I'm not too bad. I'm better for having read your book. Tell us a little bit about the idea for Braised Pork. Like, how did it come about? Did it start as a short story? How did it... It sort of did. Um, I've been wanting to write the story of Jia Jia uh, for maybe a, a few months before I started the novel. Um, and I was writing bits and pieces of it as a short story. Um, and then uh, the, the idea of sort of the fish man uh, came to me in a dream. Really? <laughs> yeah. Because that's for, for those of people who haven't read the book yet, that's, that's how it comes to the main character. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it comes almost exactly like how it came to her husband. <gasps> um, so that dream is 80% real. Yeah. Um, and then I wanted to write that into a short story as well. And then I had the story on my mind, so I tried to combine the two and then soon I soon realized that it was a much bigger piece um, what I think is really interesting is it's obviously set in um, modern China um, and it's it's about um, well I'm not going to say what it's about but for me one of the things that came out of it for me was um, a modern woman trying to find her way mm -hmm. in the world especially as a widow um, how do you think um, weaving folklore in with that um, did, did, was that like a conscious choice to weave in this kind of old folklore with this new landscape of um, I've never thought about her being a widow connecting into folklore yeah. but um, there is this idea of navigating a modern city that is somewhat really strange and eerie um, mm. of an experience and I think the best way for me um, to tell that story is through something a bit more magical and a bit more dreamy like folklore Yeah. Um, so that's that's sort of where it came from because I couldn't really find a better or another way of of encapsul encapsulating that experience. Yeah. yeah. How did you go about um, formulating all the characters? Because they're so vivid, and she meets so many people along the way. It's kind of like a bit of an odyssey. <laughs> so yeah. she goes on this trip, and all these characters keep coming in and out of her yeah. life. How are they based on real people, or are they like? You um, know? They. I think they're all based on real people, <laughs> parts of real people, mm. um, and it's mostly. It's not really. Uh, I wouldn't say that one character is entirely sort of exists in real life, um, but they do have. I, I think the the moments 
that are based on real life are the small moments like how their hands move mm. um, maybe one or two words they say and it's just in these tiny moments that are the most telling in terms of characterization I think those are those very much come from real life experiences yeah. tell us a little bit about um, your choice to write it obviously in English because mm-hmm. you know Beijing so intimately um, what and again like kind of studying in a Western setting do you think there are misconceptions people have about China and mm-hmm. and how what was your decision to kind of write it in English and um, get from that perspective I wrote it well I started writing the short story in English just because um, at the time I felt comfortable in writing it in English um, more so than in Chinese just because it was a good exercise yeah um, and being in the NYU setting sort of everything had to be in English anyway yeah. <laughs> um, but it, it worked out really really well uh, because it helps me sort of focus my attention on what the core of the story is and what actually matters in the story rather than going off on tangents that are like very specific to sort of Chinese culture that Mm -hmm. would be hard to even translate to like a more sort of universal audience and it does that kind of stuff I don't think really needs to be in the novel yeah um I sort of like it as a novel that's sort of stripped down to just to very simple and um just sort of clean emotional experiences. Do you have any tips for people who want to get into writing, like things you wish you'd known before you'd started the book? Or that kind of thing? Um, or something unexpected about the writing process as well? Because it must be strange having the book out now and people yeah. reading it, you're like, what are you talking about my characters? Yeah, um, just how, I think, how personal writing is, um, mm-hmm. just to be aware of that and how, like, even if you try to mask yourself behind all these characters and the plot and whatever it becomes something so personally about yourself at least for me mm. um that you really have to feel comfortable <laughs> with uh displaying that yeah. um, to a reader but it's also at the same time so rewarding and such a lovely experience just to know that um the reader might be able to to understand a part of you and make you sort of feel like you're being heard um yeah. in a certain way so yeah and also discipline yeah (laughs) (laughs) actually getting to the end is the part that that matters um do you see yourself in the main character at all when you say that you see that what parts of you do you think might have been exposed or if you're like Um, don't i'm not going to tell you if you haven't noticed um i I think almost every part Mm -hmm. she has i don't in, in terms of her sort of her life experience she has nothing there's nothing that resembles me um, but a lot of, I guess, emotional responses to certain things, and I don't know, subconsciously, um, m- my friends all say that they see parts of me in her, so. Oh, really? So They've noticed. Myself by now, so. Yeah. Like, the role of water in the book is, mm-hmm. is really interesting as well. Was that something that, was it there from the beginning, or is that something that, that kind of. from the beginning. Yeah. Um, water has been something that's weirdly been in and around my life. Um, since I was a child, uh, the, the aquarium incident was a real incident too, and just yeah. there's there's been a lot, and we, we used to have all these floods at home. Um, it's just been something that's uh, that's been a sort of a re- recurring thing. Yeah. <laughs> growing up, um, and I've always just like Dad, yeah, I guess I've been very very um, interested in like the properties of water and 
how sort of how uh, violent it can be, but sort of also serene and just there's so much. Yeah, because it's such a thing that kind of it sustains you, but also there's this fear throughout the book of being swallowed by water, by going to a place of water and not being able to come back. Mm -hmm. So, so as an image, it came to me quite obviously and quite quickly. Um, So, and I I wanted that to be a big part of the novel. Um, So, yeah, so that was that was the plan. That was Anne Yu, and she is the author of Braised Pork. I really hope you pick up a copy. It's really, really excellent. Uh, The next author we have to introduce you to is Deepa. Uh, As I said, she is the author of Gin Patrol on the Purple Line. Uh, Deepa spent 11 years working as a journalist in South India, reporting on the ways poverty and religious violence impact children's education. The story follows nine-year-old Jay, who follows far too many reality TV uh, police shows. And when his friend from school goes missing, decides to use his crime-solving skills to go on an adventure and find out where he might have gone. The book is absolutely brimming with character and personality. uh, And I was so excited to talk to Deepa about how she wrote it. Deepa, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. How are you today? I'm fine. Thank you for having me. No problem. Um, so um, you've written such a wonderful book and I know that people are already really excited to have it on the shelves. Because of your incredible kind of journalistic background, what do you think um, do you bring from that journalistic head into your into your writing? When you were planning the book, were you very methodical about it? Did you um, do a lot of research um, about the kind of real life equivalent characters and yeah I do I mean I think yeah that's definitely one thing from my journalistic background is that I really I like doing research I do quite a lot of research before I actually start writing anything um I don't know if that's good or bad I'm still figuring it out (laughs) but that's definitely from my background I think and I do you know I speak to people I try to travel to those areas again um I speak to charities that are working in that sector for instance Mm -hmm. or experts related to the subject that I'm writing about so all that definitely comes from my uh, background as a reporter Uh, when I started writing fiction I think which was about 10 years ago I really had to tell myself to stop being a journalist you know which is quite hard as well because I was so it it was I think I, I come from that school of journalism where facts are considered sacred and for me to learn how to let my imagination have a role in what I wrote was it, it was a big change and I had to essentially teach myself to do that as well yeah I can imagine so when we had to beat down the journalist inside yeah, of you a little bit and be like shut up I'm trying yes. to create and you know so I really had to s- tell myself it's okay like this doesn't have to be real and these characters can behave in whichever way you want to and yeah, yeah. that was just a huge change yeah and I guess it's an interesting choice as well that you you kind of choose to talk about these children's stories from a first person perspective which makes you partial (laughs) and like that you're trained to be impartial so pulling yourself into that and really being on the side of the kids is that is really I think that was yeah that was really one of the biggest differences in my journalism because you know we were taught to be to write in a balanced objective fashion Mm. without taking any one side so in fiction, you have to really inhabit a character fully and show everything from their perspective as how they view the world 
which is quite different mm. for me yeah yeah definitely um tell us a little bit about um you know kind of a lot of these news stories that we read about um and, and how that kind of inspired the book so it's a hundred is the stat 180 kids every day in india go missing yeah. and they're very rarely investigated the, the there are no clear figures as to how many children go missing so this right. is the reality that mm. nobody actually knows how many children go missing in mm. india because the police may not report many of the cases. Sometimes parents may not go up to the police to complain because they're afraid of the police. So actually nobody really knows. This figure was one which was put out by a charity that works with children a couple mm. of years ago. And they said that 180 children go missing each day. And the number could be higher or lo lower. And it is definitely uh, an issue. And I think it's something that everyone is aware of, but it's kind of in the background most of the time and you don't really know who these children are because typically they are from you know poor families and there's a tendency I think across the world to ignore people from certain communities mm. uh, I mean it's e very easy to convince yourself that their problem is actually not your problem and they don't deserve your attention so this happens everywhere and it's the same in India as well mm. so um, I mean, when I was working as a reporter, I would come across these stories of children disappearing, but nobody actually, you know, you couldn't really, they were just sort of amorphous shapes. You mm -hmm. didn't know who they were. You had no idea what they wanted to do with their lives. You, you know, just, so essentially you can reduce people to numbers and you don't know who they are behind those numbers. You don't know their faces. And that is definitely one of the reasons why I wanted to write this book, because, you know, I wanted to bring them to the fore and tell the story from the children's point of view. Yeah, that makes sense, and I, I suppose that that um, uh, that tendency to make make facts anonymous can transfer into humans, <laughs> and yeah. once we make humans anonymous, that's when we stop caring or, or stop investigating. Um, tell us a little bit um, about the one of the main characters, uh, Jay, who, who kind of seems to take over the story a lot, yeah. and even though obviously we do hear from other perspectives, tell us how you kind of brought him from the shadows and made him this one person because what I love about him is that he's so distinctive and he has a very distinctive voice uh, it's often quite humorous and, and yeah. his perspective brings a lot of humor to what's quite a dark story yeah. tell us about how you invented him or discovered him or however you want to phrase it he is really a composite of the children that I had interviewed when I was working as a reporter mm -hmm. so at that time I used to write on education it was my beat and I had to talk to children who are either in you know, government schools or out of school because of difficult domestic or financial circumstances to mm. find out you know, why, why they weren't in school. And I was essentially investigating how government policy was being implemented on the ground, especially when it came to children. So this meant that I had to interview a lot of children to find out what they were doing, how they were doing. And one of the things that always struck me was you know, how funny and sarcastic these children could be. And despite their circumstances, um, not to romanticize poverty in any way, because obviously it is a very difficult life and, you know, there's no looking away from that. Mm. But they're not defined by, just as, just like anyone else, you're not defined just by whatever your problems are. And so I really wanted to capture that kind of you know, swagger and <laughs> their <Cheekiness>. humor. Yeah, and <laughs> yeah. in how I wrote, because it's something I couldn't do in my reports because I was writing within mm. those very strict word counts and tight deadlines. 
So you had to strip it of all sorts of extraneous detail, like how the children actually were. And I think I brought all of that, which I didn't include in my reports into this character, who's essentially a composite of you know many of the children I'd interviewed. And also the children I know in my life, like my nephews. Yeah, mm. that's lovely. So the kind of a little element of all of them is, yeah. in, is in him. Um, there's a this um, p- potentially for people I kind of learned a little bit one uh, about it when I was a kid. But tell us a little bit about the tradition of of jinns and and what they are and how that because they're different from ghosts. Tell us a yeah. little bit about what so, a jinn is and yeah, how they appear sure. in the story. Well, I don't I don't want to pretend to be an expert yeah. first of all <laughs> because I think it's such a complicated subject and mm. people have literally written books about it. Yeah. But um, ghosts are essentially human beings who've died and who reappear in, yeah. you know, in some form to you. And yeah, shadows of shadow, reality. Reality. Yeah. Mm. Whereas jinns are meant to be spirits and uh, the belief is that they're created from smokeless fire. They can be good or bad and um, they can take on the form of a human or an animal. Mm. And these are spirits um, that are worshipped across uh, India, I think the Middle East and you know many Asian countries. So it's, I think, we share jinns with you know our neighboring countries, for instance, there's similar kind of belief in jinns yeah. as well. So especially in the north of India, mm-hmm. there are places where jinns are meant to reside. So, um, for instance, there's a place in Delhi where um, people believe that good jinns live and you can visit them and you can pray to them and they'll grant you their wishes. So jinns are essentially the, um, I mean, it, it's from jinns that, you know, uh, genies come from jinns. Oh, so it's I, an, I literally never made that connection. Yeah, it is. Know. It's an yeah, Americanized, yeah, the Hollywood version of yeah, jinn is the genie, yeah. whereas the genie is sort of a much more... Um, I think it's a character that Hollywood has mm. made everybody familiar with. And the and genie serves someone. Yeah, <laughs> they do. It sounds like the, the jinns in your book. No, they're <laughs> serve not. No one. So that is essentially mm. the difference. That um, genie is sort of like a wish grander creature, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. But whereas the jinn is much more, you would be scared of a jinn, I think. Yeah. Uh, that's essentially how people view them. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. And the, the, also the myths, there's three myths that kind of come up in the book. That how did you pick which ones to include? And, and yeah, were they things that you grew up with as well? Yeah, I mean, there are stories of um, jinns and spirits. Mm. In fact, in every city I lived in, because yeah. I moved around India quite a fair bit. And, you know, in every city there'll be an area, there'll be a story about a ghost mm. or an area where people say, okay, a ghost is, you know, spotted here in her white sari after <laughs> midnight. Mm-hmm. So it's it's quite common. And so it didn't seem unnatural to me to include those stories. And also within that, it's within that larger framework of these stories that, you know, the characters in my book uh, live. I mean, this is a world that they inhabit. They believe in these stories. And I wanted to include them because it's, they're living, their situation is quite difficult. And no one is essentially helping them, you know, mm-hmm. the institutions that you turn to in terms of crisis, like the police or the government, mm-hmm. they've just abdicated that responsibility towards them and they have nowhere else to turn to. So it's, I think, part of the reason why that belief in the supernatural is so strong because, you know, you're feeling abandoned otherwise. Mm. And 
so these are stories the characters overhear or you know um, it's just something people believe in and mm-hmm. they're turning to these stories for sort of some sort of comfort and i really wanted to explore how these stories can offer some solace but also may not you know in some cases yeah yes. they're not enough <laughs> yeah they're not enough it. because i think there is the idea that a story can solve everything but the reality can be quite different when um you kind of it, like kind of made the choice to put so much humor in the book so that's what i you know it was really interesting because i think it's such it's such a a book of light and dark there's, there's rarely those moments where you give us the bit in the middle it's like so it's 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 this beautiful juxtaposition um why was it important for you to include the kind of humour in the book and those kind of things? You know, I, I don't think I made a conscious decision mm-hmm. um, about, you know, how the character should sound. It mm-hmm. was, it. I think it came from Jay because yeah. he's a funny kid. He sees things, he has this very unique take on the world, which, you know, no one else may agree with at all. Yeah. But that's his point of view. And so once I started writing him, so, for instance, it was by writing the first paragraph in his voice that mm-hmm. I knew that, right, this is a kid who believes in gins because I didn't know that until I started writing it. Yeah. And so, essentially, it was, you know, just by writing him that I understood how he looked at the world and, mm-hmm. again, also staying true to the kind of kids that I had interviewed and mm-hmm. how they used to be quite funny. Um, and even in these situations, because I think there might be a tendency to think that uh, if, if you're going through a difficult time or if your situation is quite difficult, then you can't be humorous, you can't find anything funny. Yeah. But in a way, that's almost like denying someone their humanity. And I just mm-hmm. wanted to be sure that I didn't write anyone that way, that I didn't make anyone look as if, you know, they're just the sum of their problems. You know, yeah. everybody is much more than that. And I felt that, re- definitely I felt that responsibility towards portraying characters. Mm-hmm in that way and humor was definitely one way of achieving that and yeah. i knew that you know it is it is a dark story it's about disappearances of children but in everyone's life there are moments of light and i wanted to be sure i captured that as well but mostly it came from jay and you know yeah his youth world Thank you so much for listening to the Vintage Podcast. That was Deepa, author of Gin Patrol on the Purple Line. Uh, Thank you as well to Anne Yu, author of Braised Pork, for chatting to us today. I hope those two interviews gave you an idea of some new debut authors uh, to pick up in 2020. Thank you so much for listening to the Vintage Podcast. Do come over and follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Vintage Books. Our last episode was dispelling some myths and exploring poetry. So do go back and listen to that. Uh, I've been Lena Norms and until next time. Mm